0: WVIA's Mind Over Matter, a mental health initiative, is underwritten by Geisinger. When you hear Geisinger, what comes to mind? A hospital, doctors, health insurance? We're all those things. But here's something you might not think of. We're also your local pharmacy. Geisinger Pharmacy isn't just for people in the hospital, it's for you. Wanna fill a prescription? We've got you covered. Just need over-the-counter stuff? We've got that too. And Geisinger Pharmacy is run by your friends and neighbors. We're your local health care system and your local pharmacy.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Mind Over Matter podcast. I'm Tracy Matisak, and in this episode, we're talking about children and trauma. When we think of trauma, we might think of catastrophic events like war or disaster, but it's much broader than that. A child psychiatrist at NYU describes traumatic events as situations that are out of our control, beyond our usual experience, that cause us to feel as though our lives or the lives of others may be in danger. Well, for most of us, the COVID-19 pandemic checks a lot of those boxes and children have had an especially hard time coping with all the uncertainty and change that the last two plus years have required. The good news is that there are things that we can do to help the children in our lives and ourselves for that matter. Our guest is Lynn Gallagher, a licensed clinical social worker and certified clinical trauma professional who works with children and families in Geisinger's psychology department. Lynn Gallagher, welcome to the Mind Over Matter podcast.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: As you heard, I read a definition of trauma a moment ago that describes it as a situation that's beyond our control, that's unusual, that causes us to feel like our lives might be threatened. Does that sound about right to you? Absolutely. Trauma is definitely something that impacts us when
2: we least expect it, I would say.
1: And what would you say, Lynn, are some, quote unquote, simpler examples of traumatic situations? I mean, we think about, you know, war veterans, we think about people who are in disaster zones, but but as we said, it's it's more than that. How else might you define trauma or what might be some examples? Some
2: smaller examples of trauma that children face would be the disruption of their family, you know, whether their parents are incarcerated or both parents are working, they're left to take care of themselves, homelessness, hunger, um, being cold, you know, not having warm clothes or utilities or being turned on and turned off, Um, not having, you know, warm
1: food. Yeah, just not having basic needs met, it sounds like. And in your experience, how does trauma manifest itself in children? And is it different from the way that it might show up in adults? Absolutely. Children may demonstrate
2: their trauma um, symptoms very differently from adults. They can become more attention-seeking. They can be a little more disruptive in, say, the classroom setting or the home setting. Um, They may complain of stomach aches or headaches, uh, illnesses that may not be easily diagnosable.
1: So how does trauma manifest itself in children, and is it different from the way that it might look in adults?
2: Shauna definitely manifests itself a little different than adults. Um, children may present a little more withdrawn, a little more quiet. They may have somatic complaints that are not easily diagnosable, stomach aches, headaches. Um, they may act out aggressively. They may have additional tantrums. They may be a little more attention-seeking. You know, um, They may want individualized attention and seek it in in uncertain ways. They may have a loss of boundaries. You know, some children may came up and be overly friendly, where others may be the complete opposite and avoid social situations, kind of with treat into themselves.
1: And, you know, Lynn, you mentioned a moment ago about acting out, and we have heard so many reports over the last year or so about children acting out as they have returned to in-person school and how teachers have been experiencing all manner of behavior issues. Can you talk a little bit about that and why that would happen after, you know, kids have been home and learning online for, you know, a year or more than a year? What happens that causes them when they're back in a classroom situation to behave differently? Um, The COVID-19 pandemic kind of
2: did away with rules and structure, you know, and that was for both adults and children. We went from having a set schedule and and timeliness and expectations to a time where both adults and children were like building the plane as they were flying it, trying to create a sense of normalcy in, in a time where there was no normalcy. The so returning and taking that change and that abrupt transition from being home and having those freedoms back into that structured setting is definitely abrupt and um, could result in, in a almost like backlash uh, of against that sense of
1: control. Yeah. And so what do you say to parents, to teachers who are trying to cope with that and trying to help children kind of reset themselves after what they've been through over the last couple of years?
2: I think structure and scheduling is extremely important. Um, and having open and honest conversations about expectations, both in home and in school, having conversations about your feelings, about the struggles, about what they actually experience when, you know, school for some children is a safety net. There, there is that stability that's there for them, whether it's the teacher greeting them every day or the meals that they're um, being fed or being with their friends. It's a warm building. Um, and having that taken from them could be traumatic. Reintroducing them into that and the uncertainty that it's going to stay um, is something that needs to be discussed on an ongoing conversation to make sure all their needs are met, whether they're in school or not.
1: Sounds like we're kind of in a place where we have some work to do in terms of hitting the reset button, right? And having conversations that we might not have had to have um, in order to kind of Get everybody back on the same page. Um, I'm wondering as well, Lynn, when you talked about some of the ways that trauma manifests itself in children, and you mentioned acting out. You talked about attention-seeking behavior, or maybe even withdrawing. Um, different types of behavior can trauma be mistaken or misdiagnosed? Can it be? Can it look like something else? Absolutely. Um, oftentimes,
2: children and parents are are coming in and saying, you know, my child has anxiety, my child has depression, um, my child has ADHD, you know, their inability to focus or uh, inability to manage or just cope with feelings. After talking and, with them and sitting and going through maybe some life events, we realize that perhaps they aren't, you know, anxious and depressed. They actually have some sort of traumatic events that happen to them. Um, that may have manifested into these other symptoms. Yeah.
1: And of course, the pandemic also exacerbated inequalities that were already there. You know, families that were struggling to make ends meet often ended up worse off if a parent lost a job or, you know, maybe they didn't have the child care they needed or the resources to be able to educate their kids at home for such a long period of time. Can you talk a little bit about the effect that that kind of stress, the ongoing stress, can have on children, and, and I'm especially interested in what it might do as far as their brain development is concerned. It can definitely impact
2: brain development. Like I said, it may give them a sense of hypervigilance, um, the inability to develop effective coping skills. Um, that constant fear and, and living with the unknown could could stunt them. Um, you know, we talk about development of emotions and When we refer to trauma, we always say, you know, let's go back to that event, the most traumatic events that have occurred. And what age did that happen? Um, That's typically where they stop developing emotionally. They get frozen in that period of time. And it's difficult for children to move past that without, you know, support and realizing that there's um, better coping out there.
1: So in your position, Lynn, in your role in working with children, how do you help kids who do get stuck in that place, wherever that trauma happened, how do you help them identify it and then work through it to get past it?
2: A lot of it is um, just that consistent support, giving them that sense of security and safety that they're coming here, um, it's a safe space, I will be there for them, I will never get angry with them. I'm not going to judge
1: them. And the pandemic, of course, um, also exacerbated inequalities that were already there. You know, families that were maybe struggling to make ends meet, uh, ended up worse off if a parent lost a job, or, you know, perhaps they didn't have the child care that they needed, or even the resources to have their kids educated at home. What kind of effect can that kind of ongoing stress have on children? And I'm wondering especially about, how it could impact their brain development.
2: In regards to brain development and trauma, um, we always look at the time frame where the trauma occurred. You know, if a child, say, experienced a trauma perhaps at six years old and they're now 12, we always like to think that their emotional development perhaps was stunted at that six year mark. So we need to make sure that we are recognizing that you know, meeting the children where they are and building that emotional development from that age.
1: And what does that look like practically speaking, Lynn? So let's say that you're working with a child who has had a traumatic experience. They've become stuck there. Where do you start in helping them to get past that? Um, Reassuring them that they can come into this space and
2: share what they need to share um, and there would be no repercussions for them for sharing. Meeting them at you know, their space where they are, if they're angry or or hurt or what have you, meeting them there, processing that, talking through it, and then developing those positive coping skills uh, to move forward and past it.
1: So might you use like cognitive behavioral therapy? Might you have them, you know, either reframe what happened to them or would it just be sort of talking through it and helping them to think about it differently? What does that look like?
2: So cognitive behavioral therapy um, is often used with children, depending on age. We also may incorporate some play therapy techniques, um, getting them comfortable, but definitely reframing and
1: offering that constant reassurance. We have much more to talk about. We are talking about children and trauma. We're going to take a short break and we'll be back right after this.
0: WVIA presents a Mind Over Matter Minute.
1: Hi, I'm
2: Dr. Kylie Oleski from Geisinger. We know stress can lead to feeling anxious or distressed, but not everyone realizes it can also cause physical symptoms. Recognizing these symptoms can help manage stress and the symptoms triggered by it. Symptoms include trouble sleeping, tension in the neck and shoulders, headaches, tiredness, and stomach upset. Severe or long-term stress can lead to anxiety, depression, and health problems. Some stress management strategies include relaxation techniques, deep breathing, mindfulness, and yoga, physical activities like walking, and doing something you find enjoyable. Also talk to a loved one.
0: Remember, you are not alone. For more, visit wvia.org forward slash mind over matter or dial 211 to speak with someone who can help. Mind Over Matter is presented by WVIA in partnership with Geisinger.
1: You're listening to the Mind Over Matter podcast, and we are talking about children and trauma. I'm talking with Lynn Gallagher, who is a licensed clinical social worker and certified clinical trauma professional at Geisinger's psychology department. And Lynn, just been thinking about the fact that there are so many reasons for children and adults, for that matter, to feel a sense of fear in the world that we live in. You know, beyond the COVID-19 pandemic and all the stressors that came with that, We've got the alarming number of school shootings that have taken place and the constant threat of it happening again. I mean, that alone would be enough to generate a lot of anxiety. And so I guess my question is, what can parents and teachers and other adults do, you know, beyond clinicians, what can parents and teachers do to help kids who are struggling with just the fear that comes with, you know, living in the world we're living in right now? I think it's important for parents, Um, family members
2: and those closest to you to remain present. You know, have those open lines of communication, check in, you know, ask how are you feeling, ask what's happening in school. And, you know, it's more than just that physical presence um, that matters. It's putting the phones down and turning our attention away from, you know, other things and really focusing on, on having those conversations um, and making sure that kids feel safe and feel safe enough to share the details in case there is concerns.
1: And what advice would you have for a parent who, let's say you've got a child who is struggling clearly, but just doesn't want to talk about it, as I'm sure happens oftentimes with children? You know, if they're afraid, if they've had a bad experience, they're reluctant to talk about it. The parent or teacher knows that something's not right. Do you have any advice for adults who are just trying to, you know, encourage children? You talked about making sure that it's a safe space, but beyond that, just helping to kind of draw them out. Uh, don't give up, you know, um,
2: be persistent without, you know, overbearing, have that fine, delicate balance, be inquisitive, you know, show shared interests, show interest in what your kids are doing um, and creating that, that bond, that emotional connection um, and, and structure and expectations that, you know, the support is there when they're ready.
1: And what do you tell parents, Lynn, um, when it comes to helping them manage their own stresses? Because it seems that, you know, a parent's stresses could clearly trickle down to their children. So it's important for the adults to sort of manage their own issues. What advice do you have for, for parents and teachers to kind of keep their own stress in check and keep it from sort of spilling over uh, to the children in their lives?
2: I will always encourage parents and adults alike to seek their own services. Um, day-to-day stressors in and of themselves are overwhelming and challenging to anyone. When you add in having, you know, a child who is also struggling, that just compounds, you know, that daily parenting stress and life stressors. Seek your own services. Seek your support groups. You know, talk freely and be honest about it. Be honest about what your needs are. Take a few minutes for yourself and check in, um, do some self-care, self-reflection um, and don't be afraid to ask for help because it's out there.. Yeah.
1: Um, as a therapist, what concerns you the most about the long-term impact of stress and trauma on children?
2: We may be creating you know that perpetual cycle of revictimization, um, of trauma um, for generations to come. You know, um, it's not uncommon that when you speak with parents, uh, you know, it's their own parents have experienced trauma or they themselves have. So it's my biggest concern is if there's not an intervention, you know, then we're just perpetuating this never ending cycle.
1: And I imagine, Lynn, that you must see some people who have childhood trauma but don't even realize that it was trauma, and yet it's impacting their life in significant ways. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. Um, e- even teenagers, you know, it, I treat kids as young as two, but, you know, as old as 22 and beyond. Um, but having conversations about their, their own childhood, which was not that long ago, um, not recognizing that, hey, maybe this wasn't, quote unquote, normal, but it's, it's just the way their life was, if their family did things. Um, so it is pretty surprising.
1: Yeah, sometimes we can normalize things that really are not normal, but it's all we know. And maybe it's not until we're in a therapy situation or, you know, talking with someone who is a mental health professional that we can sort of connect the dots and figure out that, wait a minute, that, that was not normal. And, and that's something that needs fixing. i um, at what point do you think that a parent should consider professional help uh, for a child who is struggling?
2: absolutely anytime that you feel you know your child is not safe or you are not safe with your child you know we, we encourage immediate intervention, but you can always outreach for support before anything happens. Um, therapy does not necessarily have to be a reaction um, to an event or to um, An experience it therapy can be proactive you know and making it part of your normal family system that hey we go and we talk to people and we we make sure we're not physically safe but also emotionally mentally safe and we learn perhaps coping skills in a proactive manner versus a reactive manner
1: and of course, Lynn, anyone who has been around young children knows that they can be very resilient, you know, sometimes more than the adults around them. Can you speak a little bit to the resilience that children do seem to have and how we can help them and, and ourselves, for that matter, to cultivate more of it?
2: Absolutely. Uh, children are beyond resilient. Um, oftentimes, you will find that a lot of the children that I work with in even the teen, I'm thinking more so the teenagers that I work with, you know, when we talk about their futures and and what they want to do, a lot of it's helping others. I want to make sure, you know, other kids don't feel this way, or I want to make sure, you know, I can help people and make, make the world better than what I've experienced. That in and of itself is resiliency. If you look at the mental health field and the recovery field, a lot of practitioners also have experienced some sort of something in their lives that have driven them to want to help
1: others. Yeah, I think that's such an important point because oftentimes, you know, they say that the thing that you know, is is your difficult situation in life might be the thing that allows you to help somebody else through the same situation and to really, you know, some people will even find their life's work out of that. Um, Lynn Gallagher, thank you so much for thank taking you. time to talk with us. Lynn is a licensed clinical social worker and certified clinical trauma professional in Geisinger's psychology department. Lynn, we so appreciate your time. Sure. how a good weekend, guys. I'm Tracy Matisak, I wanna thank all of you for listening to the Mind Over Matter podcast. For more information, check out our website at wvia.org slash mindovermatter. We'll see you next time.
0: WVIA's Mind Over Matter, a mental health initiative is underwritten by Geisinger. When you hear Geisinger, what comes to mind? A hospital, doctors, health insurance, we're all those things. But here's something you might not think of. We're also your local pharmacy. Geisinger Pharmacy isn't just for people in the hospital, it's for you. Wanna fill a prescription? We've got you covered. Just need over-the-counter stuff? We've got that too. And Geisinger Pharmacy is run by your friends and neighbors. We're your local healthcare system and your local pharmacy.